from the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Flyers AD on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Anthony DeMarco and Daniel Lesh. everybody, welcome to Flyers AD here. It is between Christmas and New Year's, Friday morning show, December 27th today. We are in the middle of the World Juniors. They're underway. The Flyers return tomorrow after their Christmas break. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of everything this week. But first, let me welcome my co-host, Anthony DeMarcos here. Anthony, what's going on? Oh, not too much, man. Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Happy New Year, even though we're not there yet. But... The Flyers at the Christmas break were 21-11-5 through 37 games played. They have 47 points, which is good enough for third in the Metro at the moment. They are, uh, I believe, a point or two behind the Islanders and 10 points behind the Capitals for first place. Capitals have a 10-point lead on the Flyers already. That's insane, but uh, they are hanging in there. Uh, The Penguins have 46 points with uh, game in hand, so... A little too early to start worrying about the game in hand stuff. But, I mean, so far so good for the Flyers. Uh, since last time we talked, they beat the Senators in a shootout 5-4, to four, and then they beat the Rangers 5-1 to one in a pretty solid game in their final showing before Christmas. Uh, what have you seen from the Flyers since last time we talked? Well, I mean, it, it's a lot of what, a lot of the same since the last time we talked because they're beating teams that they're supposed to beat. Now, obviously, the Oddwell game was kind of ugly, had its peaks and valleys for sure. I feel like not having Matt Niskanen in the lineup was very evident. First game of the year that the Flyers haven't had him. And they were leaky defensively in much of that game. I found, despite giving up four goals, Brian Elliott was rock solid in that game. And it was just nice to see that the Flyers fought back from adversity, won in a shootout. I think they've already won four shootouts this year or something like that. And at times it was ugly, but at the end of the day, they really just, you know, they took advantage of an Ottawa team that, although they work hard, they are much inferior. So that was nice to see. And then with the Ranger game, you know, it was it was a tough game, hard-fought game. Henrik Lundqvist was real solid in that game, as was Carter Hart. He was brilliant. But it was just another example of they recognized that they're the superior team to the New York Rangers. They put the foot on the throat of the New York Rangers, and late in that game, they really just ran the table. Kevin Hayes, I think, who is quickly becoming the new Samuel Moran for you, Dan. <laughs> but but uh, he really shined in that game. His puck possession is insane. And, uh, you know, two goals. And it was nice to see Albe Kubel get on, on the score sheet. So... All in all, I think it's been a really good week and a half here for the Flyers. They've won four in a row. They've beaten four teams that they should beat. And they're doing all this without Limblom, Lawton, Raffle, if you want to throw Patrick in that mix. So I think that it is very encouraging heading into the California trip. I love Kevin Hayes. (laughs) (laughs) He is, with the exception of Sam Moran, my favorite Flyer and I don't even know how long. Maybe like Eric Desjardins, Robert Ash, you know, 15, 20 years ago now. But uh, I, I really, truly love this guy. He's just, he is the perfect all-around player, fits very well in the Flyers. He's starting to produce offensively. And, uh, I mean, he, he he just looks great on a night basis. And, and it's been very evident all year, and now people are starting to give him the credit because his hard work is starting to pay off in the goal column. He had two goals against the Rangers. Um, as I patiently wait for this page to load. But uh, <laughs> he, he looks pretty good here um, as of late, and, and I, I really do like the guy. And six months ago, if you would have told me that I would be saying this, I would have called you nuts. But, I mean, he has been great pretty much all season. You know, he's had a couple uh, hiccups here and there, but, I mean, pretty much everybody on this team has, and he looks great. Three goals in his last three games, five points in his last three games as well. So uh, if he can keep that going, I mean, that he's a great uh, center for the Flyers and and probably one of the best signings they've had and I don't even know how long. Yeah, and again, like people still are harping on that contract and everything, and I've talked about ad nauseum that you know to the Flyers he is worth seven point one million. Yes. In five years from now, will it bite him in the ass? Probably, but as I've tried to explain to people, is 
The top three centers that the Flyers have on the roster as of right now will likely be the top three centers for the foreseeable future. You know, Patrick, we don't know what's going on with him. Vorobia, I think he's actually been quite impressive lately in a in a minor role. But, I mean, even at that, I think he'll be nothing more than a fourth-line center at best. Then you have O'Brien, who he's doing well in the BCHL. But long story short is that they will need him for the next five years. This wasn't a signing where they said, okay, well, we just need a short-term fix to bridge the gap to a guy in a year or two. No, no, they need him for the foreseeable future. And the fact that they have two high-quality centers in Katorian Hayes has really helped this team. I would argue that aside from Sean Katori, he is the most valuable uh, Flyers forward on the roster, obviously not defense or goaltending counting. But I think it's just very important to acknowledge what he's brought to this team because I've said it before, I'll say it again. Without Kevin Hayes... They're arguably the team with the worst center depth in the entire league. And I think that as the years go on and, you know, the cap inevitably rises and more players are getting $7 million per season, it won't look as bad. And I think one of your co-hosts touched on this, maybe on your Christmas show, that, like, $7 million isn't what it used to be. Like, I remember when the Flyers signed Danny Briere in the summer of 07 and he got an eight-year deal at $6.5 million. Well, you know, six and a half million back then is kind of like ten million dollars now. Yeah, seven million dollars is like a high end second line player in my mind. So I really, and that's what Kevin Hayes is. You know, he's on pace for forty nine points. He's playing in all situations. He's an elite penalty killer, and he filled a like a very big need for the Flyers. And you know, to go out and add a bona fide top six center in free agency, you're going to have to play, pay a premium. So I'm not saying that this isn't likely going to bite them in the ass down the road here, but in the foreseeable future, over the next four or five years, I don't see how anyone is complaining about this contract. Yeah, in the short term, he's absolutely great. And and the, again, the contract, five years from now, probably going to suck, probably going to hurt him some way, but in the short term, this year, next year, and probably even 2021, you know, they're going to be, it looks fine. If he can produce like this and play this caliber of hockey through all seven years, I doubt, but, you know, at least for the next three, four, five years, I mean, it's, it's totally worth it. You know, I, I was harping on the contract. And you know what? I think that was part of it as well. I was more concerned about the contract, mainly because it was, it's, I wasn't concerned about the years. And I've ranted about this in the show before, and people went, oh, well, if he signed for six and a half, would you have been happy? It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the length. And I'm still not happy with the length. But, you know, it was watching Hayes in New York with the Rangers. You know, I caught him a couple times a year when the Flyers were on, a couple other times, you know, when they were on, you know, Wednesday Night Rivalry or whatever, and uh, watched him in the playoff with the Rangers, or the Jets, rather. And I wasn't overly impressed with the guy. So when they signed, it was kind of like, meh. You know, I knew he was a, a more of a two-way guy, and, you know, his offense wasn't going to be there. And But watching him play here has just been phenomenal. He's been able to have offensive chances pretty much every night, even when he's not capitalizing on them. And, uh, you know, his two-way play is phenomenal. His penalty killing is so good. I can't even tell you last time the Flyers had a penalty killer uh, of the rank of Kevin Hayes. So it is great to see that he's been here. He's contributed in pretty much every single way. And, uh, you know, he, he's earning his money now and probably will for the next, uh, you know, three, four, five years before the age starts to catch up with him. Well, it's, you know, when every team, when they go through a cup run or like a five-year stretch of being elite level competition, I'm not saying the Flyers are there yet, but... Every one of those teams usually has a contract or two that they know once they sign it, it's going to burn them. Like when the Blackhawks signed to Marion Hosa to, I think it was a 12-year contract. Like, okay, they were eventually able to trade it, but they had to give up assets to trade it. When they signed that contract with Hosa, they knew what they were getting into. You know, ditto for the the Kings with Marion Gaverick. You know, they had to acquire the Dion Phaneuf contract to get rid of that contract. You know, they're still, when they traded for and acquired the Jeff Carter contract, they're still paying for that. So I don't think people understand that teams are well aware when they sign this contract, like, okay, maybe in the back quarter of this of this uh, deal, the last quarter of this deal, it's going to bite us in the ass. But they, you have to think about the here and now, too, sometimes. And, 
you know, we've always seen it like, no, we're going to sacrifice the present for the future. We've been doing that since 2014. No, no, no. We'll we'll take on Yuri Laterra for Braden Shen. But, you know, the two first round picks are going to pay dividends. Oh, no, we're going to get rid of Braden Coburn, who is a very steady defenseman for the team and get not, and get Radko Gudis in return. But, you know, the first and the third are going to pay dividends down the road. And. For most parts, both of those trades in pure value were really great, especially the Coburn one. But you get to a certain point where it has to go in reverse, where you have to say, okay, we're going to have to sacrifice a bit of the future to, you know, do well in the present. And, you know, in the Paul Holmgren era, when, they're tr- when they didn't have a first-round pick in 2009 or 2000— because those were arguably the best years as a, uh, as a Flyers fan of this century— so I'm not really worried about that two years down the road or five years down the road, rather. <clears throat> Excuse me. But even when we get there, based on where this team is trending now, even if Kevin Hayes is performing at a not so great level the last two years of his contract, I think that by that time we won't really care given where the team is trending right now. Yeah, he's a crucial part to the roster as now. Another $7 million player that's starting to become a crucial part again. James Van Riemsdyk. The bane <laughs> of my existence, James Van Riemsdyk. Six goals and nine points in his last six games. Finally, now that we're halfway through the season, the guy is starting to become a competent hockey player again, which, uh, you know, a lot of people, I've heard the I told you so line because his, his, his expected goals were high all season. Now he's finally starting to cash in on some garbage goals. You know and we're going to break this down a little more, but Van Riemsdyk finally scoring goals. You know, if he can keep this pace going, you know, they're all garbage goals. He had, I believe, one goal against the Senators that was a good goal. The other one bounced off a defenseman. The one of them was a breakaway goal that he put it right between the five hole of uh, Marcus Hogberg on a breakaway. Great. You know, most of them have been garbage goals. They're deflecting off a defenseman and, and you know, whatever. Their own players, breaking up passes, what have you. And... If he can score goals like that all the time, you know, one every other game, two every other game, whatever, more power to the guy if that's what he's going to be. But it's been a season of people going, oh, he has high danger scoring chances and he needs to capitalize and this can break through eventually. To me, when you say stuff like that and then he scores six goals, five of which are deflection goals, it's just, that's it fancy garbage man right there and not necessarily a guy who's with the high danger scoring chances but again if this is what he's going to be moving forward and he's going to be able to deflect goals and he's going to find all the puck luck going his way more power to the guy but for right now i'm still skeptical if he can keep this kind of production up long term well yeah yeah we talked about it last time where you know if he's scoring goals in any which way i don't care how they come as long as he's playing goals in the back of the net and now he leads the flyers with 12 goals on the year Obviously, that has a lot to do with the injuries to Konechny and Limblom. But you know what? I don't care if he scores like this. If he could score even three or four goals over every ten or every ten game stretch, like you said, more power to you. But for all these people who are saying like, "Oh, I knew it was coming," mm-hmm. I I told you, and like it's like it's not the goals like you're justifying that he's like this great goal scorer. Like, yes, he gets to the dirty areas, and we're not going to take that away from him. And if he does this consistently, great. But the way he scores doesn't really paint a picture that this is a sustainable way to go long term. It's like, just like you said, a glorified garbage man. Now, again, he's kind of made a living off of this, so I think maybe we have to give him the benefit of the doubt here. He's always been a streaky player. I just wish he scored goals that were more impactful, if you would. I feel like every time JVR scores, or more times than not, it's meaningless goals and goals that really don't change the juncture of the game. But again, scoring goals, you know, they come at a premium in the NHL. So if he's doing them consistently like he's doing now, I don't know, his mother could score them for all I care. So just as long as he's putting goals in the back of the net and doing his job, which he has paid $7 million to do, I really couldn't care less. I think that he's benefiting, and I don't want people to fucking lose their collective shit over this, but I think he's benefiting from Limblom being out of the lineup, that he's not buried on that fourth line, and he's clearly found some chemistry with Hayes and Abey Kubel, but, you know, good for James Van Riemsdyk. I just hope that he can continue this trend. 
the oh, goals he scored against Detroit and Toronto at the beginning of December were both the sixth of six of the game. I mean, the Minnesota and Winnipeg game, they both, the Flyers are getting beat down in those games. Uh, the, the Ottawa game was good, and there were two goals there. I believe they were both uh, uh, important goals. They won that nice shootout, obviously. The Buffalo game, he scored two goals, but the Flyers beat down the Sabres in that game as well. So, you know, if he can do what he did in Ottawa and be a key contributor and score goals at opportune times versus, you know, once they're already winning 5-1, to one, again, I, I'm all for this. I would love to see Van Riemsdyk break out and start scoring goals on the regular. But, you know, <laughs> we're halfway through the season and he's had four or five good games recently. You know, I'm not taking that as a turning around point. All these people, I told you so, or oh, I knew it, it was common all the time. You know, I, I don't care. You know, if he can start, again, if he does this on the regular throughout the rest of the season, more power to the guy. But at this point, all these people that go, oh, now he's on pace for, you know, however many points this season. How many points is he on pace for? 46 right now? more or less. So, uh, you know, great. He's on pace for, you know, 24 goals and and 46 points, which is, you know, still pretty low for him, all things considered. But, you know, he's going to pad his stats by the end of the year. His numbers will probably look acceptable by the time the season's up. But it's the meaning of the goals. And I remember last season, the last month of the year, he had two hat-tricks. He had 27 goals last year, but two of them were hat-tricks in the dying games of the season once they didn't mean anything. You know, so he had 21 goals and and piled on. So, you know, again, if if he can do this regularly, great. But uh, I'm going to need more than a five-game sample size, everybody's favorite term, sample size, before I uh, buy back into Van Riemsdyk being a lethal scorer. So... Dan, I put out a tweet, I believe it was Christmas Eve, where I said, when all is said and done and Rothwell and Lawton come back, which four do you think will be the one to get sent down? Obviously, we knew Andrew would be the first to go. And now, based on what Dave Isaac says, it is, you know, that's coming to fruition. Andrew is the odd man out. They have Giroux, Katori, Konechny, JVR, Hayes, Farabee, Lawton, Frost, Voracek, Abe, Kubel, Vorobiev, and Pitlick. So Lawton looks to be coming off of IR and will play in tomorrow's game. And then that leaves Raffle. So obviously, I didn't include Vorobiev in the pool because I knew people would have an overwhelming, you know, vote in his direction. Right. And my pick was Frost. And most people actually went to Frost. But I, in my mind, even if you glum Vorobiev in that mix, I would still lean more with Frost. And I would put Lawton back at 3C. What would your opinion be on it? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Frost is the one that should go down. Vorobiev, you know, he's been fine. He's not doing anything phenomenal, but I don't really expect him to. But here's the thing. I think this is his ceiling. I, I think this is what to expect out of Vorobiev in the future. And in that case, him playing however many tonight on the fourth line is fine. You know, it's not going to damage his, his development. Frost at this point is just is just a fella, you know. And we've been talking about this on this show all season. You know, I go to all these – I'm at pretty much every Phantoms home game. I missed three or four in the season thus far. And I was there throughout Frost's whole run. And I said it on the time – I even went back and listened to the episode that we did right the weekend before he got called up, and I said this. If he gets called up, he's going to be able to hang in the NHL. He's got a few offensive tricks up his sleeve, but his overall game is not ready. And it was painfully obvious to anybody watching the Phantoms – every single game. And I don't think a lot of people did. I think a lot of people saw the flashy highlight reel goals, which he had quite a few of them. I think they looked at his point total. He had a seven-game point streak there. I believe he was just short of a point-per-game player. I think they went, man, this guy's great. He's going to come up and, and light the team on fire. But in reality, if you were watching the games every single shift, it was more obvious than not that he just isn't quite there yet, uh, even with the Phantoms. And he got called up. He had three points in his first two games. People were just ejaculating everywhere because of this. You know, they thought that he was, you know, the second coming of Christ on the ice and fantastic and all. And ever since those first three, four games, there's been a whole lot of nothing. And people go, oh, but he's got, you know, four assists or whatever the number is. And that's great and all, but reality is those aren't phenomenal assists. I remember the one of them, whether it was against the Sabres or or Ottawa, whatever, it was uh, one of the defensemen took a shot from the point, it hit Frost in the chest in front of the net, puck falls down, and Konechny buries it before anybody else knew where it was. You know, that's not an assist that just so happened to bounce off of him before it went in. And 
you know, the kid's just not doing anything phenomenal right now. His offense isn't where it was or where it should be. And listen, sending him down is not a demotion. It's not a bad thing. It's it's preparing him for the future. You know, again, is he hanging at the NHL? Yes. Can he continue to play at an NHL level just getting by? Yes. But listen, this is your top prospect. You know, it's fine to send him down. At least send him down for, you know, 15, 20, 25 games to get some offensive gleam back. You know, get some confidence back. Remember what it's like to score some goals. You know, let him develop a little bit more. It doesn't hurt. And and I, I had the, we were talking to Dan Silver and he goes, oh, but he's too good for the 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 AHL but is he though I don't think he is you know he needs a development he's what 20 years old he he needs that time he hasn't been great and I believe uh, Isaiah from OMB podcast put out a tweet that Alex Appleyard responded to something about uh I could pull it up here in a minute but something about optimizing the lineup and trying to you know you want your best players out there every single night and in theory I understand that but at the same time, you know, this is not a guy that that is killing it so much and he needs it. Now, where's the tweet here? The problem is that there does not have the top nine center to replace Frost unless Patrick gets back. Frost is on pacing for 34 points already two-game schedule, which is above average for a 3C. It's just, sure, he has 34 points. First of all, that on pace for 34 points gimmick is bullshit because he can have one or two bad games that number changes drastically. But that's a different argument for a different day. You know, Sure, they don't have money to replace him, and you want your lineup optimized to the best of the ability, but Albe Kubel's playing fine. Hell, call David Kasha back up if you really want, you know, uh, that spark in your bottom six. They just, it's not the end of the road if they send him back down, and even if it's just on a short term to get some confidence back, I think it's the right move both in the short and long term uh, to get Frost back down and get him a couple more games, and it's not going to hurt, and these people that think it's going to hurt are just, uh, you know, uh, over overreacting, over-exaggerating, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but again, these guys like Appleyard, and again, I really like Appleyard as a guy, but I have a hard time talking hockey with him because him specifically, because he's someone who I've never once seen seen Appleyard give an opinion of his own. Right. It's just analytics say this, therefore that's what it is. Yep. And I have a hard time with it because analytics is all about offense. If you're not producing offense, you're not good. And if you are producing, what do you say, on pace for 34 points, okay, well, then he's good. Here's my thing with Frost. When they are not in the offensive zone, the guy looks lost. There was a sequence, I think it was against Ottawa, where they were playing four-on-four. Holy fuck, this guy was literally looking around, and he literally was panicking. I don't know how... They zoomed in on his face, but he did not know where he was going. <laughs> and I don't, I never thought I would say this, but you can tell how much Voracek is holding back when with Frost on the ice because he's coming back to help. And I never thought I would say that. <laughs> but Voracek is literally riding shotgun with this 21 year old, I think he's 21, and it's hampering his offensive ability to drive up. And I'm not saying that Scott Lawton is an ideal 3C. I've said it numerous times. I think he's a much more effective winger. But at this point, like, now they have Abe Kubel on the fourth line. I think that Abe Kubel has earned a, a spot in the top in the top nine, especially alongside Hayes and, and uh, JVR. I think that Frost is only here and has only been here because he is a centerman. The Flyers don't have another option down the middle. Obviously, they they prefer Lawton on the wing. You know, Roffel is playing center just out of necessity on that fourth line. But now that JVR is scoring, now that I feel like Voracek, obviously I just mentioned that he's holding back offensively, but he has more jump in his game. Hayes is starting to find it now. Konechny's back, and you, you finally reuni- reunited him with Couturier and Giroux. I don't know if they need Frost anymore, that spark. They brought up Frost because they just n- desperately needed an offensive spark. And I don't know if they need that anymore because of guys, you know, those veterans finally starting to find their way. And Obey Kubel playing well. And even a guy like Joel Farabee, where I think he's done enough to find to to stick with the roster because he's found his niche not as a scorer 
but he's found a way to fit in. And I haven't seen that with Frost. He hasn't been able to, you know, adapt to play the penalty kill or play a more physical role. He's just there. And and maybe I'm talking about uh, two sides of my mouth here, but I don't think that keeping him here is enough of a justification because his present contribution isn't enough to justify hampering his development. And I know I've been saying enough with, you know, worry about the future and it's about the here and now, but in the here and now, he's not helping. Right. So that that argument applies to Farabee because I feel like Farabee helps the current roster. I feel like he's found his niche. He's adapted his game. And although it may not be ideal and it would be more ideal for him to be playing with the Phantoms and developing his offensive game, he's, you know, playing at a high level right now. Frost isn't, and it's. I don't think that him being, <clears throat> excuse me, being or not being on the roster is going to change the trajectory of this team. No. Farabee always looks like he's on the verge of doing something great. He hasn't quite hit it yet, but he always looks like he, he's he's just one play away from breaking out. And he's looked that way for quite a while. You know, there's that, uh, he, he cooled down quite a bit after he originally got called up. But, I mean, he's been great. His passing is definitely high. His hockey IQ is high. Frost, he just doesn't, he doesn't fit. And I know people want to pretend this guy is, is you know, the mini Claude Giroux and this and that. And that seems to be uh, from a lot of people like Silver and Appleyard. You know, they, they, they just don't want to admit that this guy isn't ready. But, you know, he he looks lost. You're right. And, and I noticed this with the Phantoms as well. When he was not being there offensively, he just wasn't – he's not there yet. His puck management skills aren't great. His physicality is just not there. There were quite a few times with the Phantoms when they were playing the uh, Baby Bruins and the Baby Penguins especially that, I mean, just – he physically was getting taken advantage of. And, and it's just – it's the little things that – People don't want to admit that it is a thing, but it is. You know, he's just not... It's not going to hurt sending him down. You know, sure, the Flyers pretty much have all hands on deck in this roster, but I even put out a tweet after the Rangers game. You know, when once Van Riemsdyk and Voracek and Sanheim, once all these get, players get their heads out of their asses at the exact same time, this team is great. You know, and that's been the problem all season. And, and it's funny that people, all season long, they've shrugged off the lack of production from the top guys. So it's always been the depth's fault. It's always been Carson Terinsky's fault. Not that the fact that Katuri and Voracek can't score to save their lives. It's everybody else's fault. But at the same time, they need Frost up to optimize their lineup because their fucking top guys aren't getting it done, ironically enough. So... Sending him down is not going to hurt. Again, it doesn't have to be permanent. He's fucking, you can send, send him down and call him up as much as you want. And at the time being, you know, Vorobiev isn't great, but he's not doing anything wrong either. I haven't really noticed any flaws out of him. He's had a couple good shifts here and there. And again, you know, Kosh has shown something. If you want to give, you know, Ver, uh, not Vorobiev, Rubsov another chance, you know, you, you have the opportunity here to play musical chairs and try and find a piece to help cover for Frost while you send him down and let him develop. It's just not the end of the world here. And even if you want to wait till the trade deadline and you pick up a, you know, a Tyler Toffoli for a third round pick, just so you have an extra body there and then you can send Frost down, like more power to you, you know, but at this point, sending Frost down is the best for his development in the short or the long term. And it's not going to hurt the Flyers one bit if you take him out of the lineup because he's not doing anything that's in overly positive right now. Well, it's... It, it's guys like Silver and Appleyard, they, they almost take it personally when these guys don't live up to expectations. Right. And Silver actually Silver actually kind of agreed with me, which is weird given our recent history. But he said – he responded to one of my tweets basically saying like, yeah, he definitely needs a reset. But what would be best for him is being sat out in the press box. Oh, yeah, I saw that tweet. And in my, I didn't even respond to it because <laughs> there's just no point. But it's like, so you're admitting for for Silver to say that he's clearly saying like, okay, he isn't ready. But why is he too good for the AHL? You know, there's this famous you know saying, and Gord Miller always says it. He's my favorite play-by-play guy in the NHL, and he always says nobody's hurt from too much development. There's never been a player who was developed too much. And I don't see the problem here with letting Frost go back to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And Are they doing well this year, Dan, the Phantoms? They were until everybody got called up. Now they're just kind of floundering, but they're, they're still winning games. 
I don't know what their record is off the top of my head, but uh, ever, ever since everybody got called up, it's uh, turned around uh, a little bit. But they're still playing well. They got a lot of veterans down there. Andy Walensky has been great for them. Uh, Curtis Gabriel, of all people, has been playing pretty well. Ratcliffe has been a hot mess most of the year. But, uh, you know, when they're playing well, they are playing well. They're still winning games, but, you know, they're not the same threat they were when Frost and Farabee and Myers were down. Yeah, so... I think that Frost going back down, he would probably be the undisputed offensive juggernaut of that team, would he not? Oh, by a long shot. So I don't see how it would hurt for a 21-year-old to go back down, become the centerpiece, the focal point of the team, you know, dominate the AHL, because I think he would, because he's not he's not even relevant here. It's not no. even like yeah, Farabee. Right. It's not even like Farabee where we could say, okay, he's now he's playing the penalty kill, and He's more of in a checking role with Hayes. Like, no, Frost just isn't – he doesn't have a niche. And I I know Isaiah said it a lot, and I've kind of liked what he said when he says, like, everyone's just so obsessed with optimizing the lineup. Yes. Well, like, yes, like, if you pulled everyone's potential into big one, one big fat bowl, like, obviously that would be the best lineup. But he's not there yet, and it's okay. It's fine. It doesn't mean that we're throwing in the towel. I – I've seen enough of Frost to say, I don't think he's going to be a bust. He'll probably be a top six center one day. I think that's fair. But I, he, it's just things that he that can be taught. You know, you can't teach offense, but you can teach defense. He knows how to, like, perform offensively. He has tricked up his sleeves. At least once a game, I see him do something really shifty. But he just needs to round out his game, and it's fine. But... It's just all these people, and we kind of touched on it earlier in the show, where the team was so shit and the the aura around the organization was so negative for so long that the only thing that we had to look forward to were these prospects, 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 prospects. And we all forgot that they're not – the Flyers aren't the only team that has good prospects. And we saw it yesterday with the first day of the World Juniors. And Dan Silver puts out a tweet that, you know – about Zamula because over he, they play one game against the Czech Republic and now Igor Zamula is the next Norris winner. And, you know, he says, like, you know, Provorov, Myers, Sanheim, Zamula, and York all have first-pairing potential in the NHL. And it's just like, how do you make that claim? Provorov, yeah, he is a first-pairing player, so I don't even know why he's lumped into it. Myers, I could see first-pairing potential. Sanheim, I don't see it. I don't know about you. I think Sanheim no, is not at all. And I think Sanheim is a great. And I put out a tweet earlier. I think it was last week where I said, you know, Sanheim and Braun right now are the ideal second pair or the prototypical second pair. It's not always pretty, but ultimately they get the job done. I think that's pretty fair to describe them. But Sanheim is what he is, and as a good second pair guy, I'm happy with it. But like. Why are Zamula and York first-pairing potential? What has made them first-pairing potential guys? You know, when I see York, I see a top-four defenseman, offensive uh, offensive uh, special, uh, capabilities, but it's like they can't just, like, take players for what they are and say, you know, he has a lot of potential, but we don't know what he's going to be yet. And it kind of lumps in with Frost as well, where... Coming out of junior, everyone said when he played with the Greyhounds, like, oh, yeah, he's this, he's that, he's tearing up the OHL. Well, if you're drafted inside the top three, and in Frost's case, the top 30, you know, you're you're expected to dominate your respective levels of play, whether it be junior or college. That's what going in the top three or four rounds usually means. And, you know, we saw it with Ratcliffe, that he was dominating the OHL when he was there, but now he's still adjusting, and... People just have a hard time tempering their expectations when it comes to these prospects. And and what about the tweet yesterday? It's the World Juniors and all the wannabe prospect. Uh, they want to be prospect scouts. Load up on YouTube highlight reels and try to convince the rest of us that Teenager X is the real deal on one flashy goal. And that's pretty much what happened with Zumali yesterday. He had one, I guess he had two goals in the game, but one of them was pretty flashy. And, and oh, this guy's great. Here comes the fucking Norse winner in 2024. You know, it's just like. I guarantee you I can go back through the junior careers of any player and find... Like, fuck, Chris Stewart. Chris Stewart had a quite a junior run. He had, what, two 30-goal seasons at the time? But I can go back and find some clips of that and make him look like a fucking superstar, but everybody hates him now. 
You know, I can do that with just about anybody. That's how they got to the fucking NHL in the first place. So their juniors were good, but it doesn't. The people that I, I don't talk prospects because the shit drives me crazy because it doesn't matter what anybody does in juniors. Because very, very few players can replicate those numbers unless your name is Connor McDavid. And even then, I don't think he's putting up the same pace as what he did back then. But, you know, the transition is so much more than just points on paper. And Frost, again, the perfect example of the Frost is, sure, he had a great career in juniors. And, and theoretically, he should be fine in the NHL. But his overall game's not there yet. He hasn't been able to transition to this level perfectly. His offense hasn't come with him, and his overall play hasn't come with him. And it's not a bad thing. It just takes time to develop. And these people that base, you know, 17-year-olds' whole careers in front of them off of one, you know, tournament that lasts a week, you know, it's just, I don't understand. This is something that just drives me nuts. And all these people got on my case yesterday when I said that tweet. And it's just, I don't know. I, I just, I don't get why people put so much stock in them. You know, we talked about it with Sanheim. You know, I, I don't think this guy has... Uh, top pairing potential Myers if Myers can get his shit together for long periods of time he could but he struggled to do that pretty much every time he's been in the NHL so the potential's there sure I'm sure Zumla is going to be a very useful NHL player within the next you know five seven years but for the time being he's just a guy he's just a 19 20 year old kid that's playing in juniors like how about you give him some time and you know, before you, you you judge his whole career and pencil him in for the Norris in five years. It's just, I, I can't stand, as much as I love watching this tournament, I just can't stand this time of year because all these fucking wannabe prospect scouts come in and, and pull bullshit like Dan Silver's been pulling for the past couple of days. Well, like, obviously I'm a Canadian, so I, I remember Canadian teams, but I remember 2015, so five years ago, the World Juniors, and they had an amazing team, and it was the year Connor McDavid was on it. So this team had Connor McDavid, Braden Point, uh, Max Domi, Josh Morrissey, Darnell Nurse. Star-studded lineup. And the team captain and arguably the team MVP was Curtis Lazard. Jesus. (laughs) The the first-line center and arguably the team MVP was Sam Reinhardt. And Reinhardt's a good NHL player, but when you compare him to the Point and McDavid's. So... What I'm trying to and the goaltender was Zach Fucali. Like Jesus Christ, whatever happened to him? He's in Minnesota system, isn't he? I think Vegas or Minnesota. Hmm. But and he grew up uh, 30 minutes from where I live. But the point is, is like like you said, Dad, it's a two week tournament, and guys are gonna shine. They're gonna get hot. Like the best line in that tournament was Domi, Reinhardt, Duclair, and now Duclair is finally starting to live up to his you know potential or what people think is, but again, like he was like one of the stars on that team and it took him how long to find his shit. Like it's a tournament that it has a lot of guys who are drafted inside the top three or four rounds. And when you go against teams like Belarus or Germany, like you're expected to do this, but I don't know why people think that like, Oh, well a guy drafted in the third round is dominant dominating, you know, the, the OHL. Well, yeah, that's why he was drafted there Right. So to get drafted inside the top 90 in the world of your age group. You know, you should be a standout star. And <laughs> it's like, fuck, do you not know how many fucking junior players there are playing in the OHL, the QA, the QMJHL and the WHL in the NCAA, the KHL, like all these leagues, like, fuck, if you're in the top 90 out of all those players, yeah, you're going to be fucking dominating. But once you get to the NHL, you, you get fucking punched in the face. And that's just the matter of fact. Like, Scott Lawton was the captain of the World Juniors in, I think it was 2013. And he was the first-line center. Then he was the offensive guy. And what happened? He came up with the Flyers. And he actually had to get sent back down. And I believe Scott Gordon taught him, like, look, if you want to make it in the NHL, you're going to have to be a checking forward. You're not going to be a scorer. And he did that. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Frost. But, you know, you've kind of seen it with Farabee already. Yeah, yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah, and and again, like, I'm not comparing because Farabee's played, what, 30 games in the NHL. But I remember Lawton. People they tried him at the as third line center quite a few times. They tried for it with years. La- yeah, and then do you remember when uh, he he got sent back down and lost his spot to Nick Cousins? <laughs> yeah. 
And I fucking hated Scott Lawton because I said, Jesus fucking Christ, like this guy, like he can't do it. But he came back up and, you know, to, you know, to his credit, he changed his game completely. And now he's an energy forward and, and it's good. Kudos to Scott Lawton. He's one of my favorite players now, but you can't write off those possibilities because we've already kind of seen it with Farabee. You know, Robert Hag was the same thing. You know, I remember I had a buddy who played against him in a junior, in a junior, um, in a junior tournament. And he said, yo, this guy's fucking good. He's an offensive guy. Came over to North America. They said, look, you're going to have to be a shutdown guy if you want to make it in the big leagues. And no matter how people want to reject it, he is an NHL defenseman. Bottom pair, you know, ideal seventh pair, uh, seventh guy, but he is. And that happens a lot where players have to change the way they play the game to adapt to the NHL, to survive in the NHL. Like Chris Stewart, you just said it. You know, it, it happens all the time. Look, Travis Sanheim. People are still crying that he's not on the power play because he played there when he played for the Calgary Hitmen. But in the NHL, and that's fine. I just ranted about how Sanheim's like the perfect second pair guy, and it's okay. You know, I've said it before. If you get drafted inside the first round, outside of the top five, obviously, and you stick as an everyday NHLer, you're not a bust. You're a success because yep. that's what it is in the NHL. Not everyone can be a superstar. As far as draft picks go, you know, the top three are expected to be stars. But everything after that, more years than not, it's a total fucking crapshoot. You know, especially later in the first round. You know, those are guys that are going to be, you know, in your bottom six most often than not. I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule. And obviously, deeper in the draft, there are exceptions to that rule. But go back in the last 10 years of first round picks and tell me how many people outside of the top five became legitimate superstars. I'm sure there are some handy forwards and I could go back and look. But, you know, these are not... Just because you're a first-round pick does not guarantee you're going to be a superstar in the NHL. you got to work. Lawton was a guy... He got yo-yoed for... 2014-15, he was up for 31 games. Then got sent down to the Phantoms the rest of the year. 15-16, he was up for 71 games, uh, doing absolutely nothing in Dave Hextel's doghouse. 16-17, they sent him down for the Phantoms for pretty much the full year. He got called up in 17-18 and has been a fucking beast ever since because he had to learn how to play a two-way game, which he wasn't doing. He was a fucking offensive stud in juniors. And it just doesn't work. And we're already starting. You mentioned Farabee. You know, how is Farabee suspended right now? Because he fucking killed a guy because he's trying to be, you know, a physical forward because he just can't snipe the way he used to. It's just the level of the NHL. And Morgan Frost, again, we talked about it. His offense isn't there. And when his offense isn't there, you're seeing absolutely nothing in his game. And if you send him down to the AHL and you let him figure it out, and that was his problem with the Phantoms, too. I've been talking about this for months. Everybody wants to point at the point streak that he had and the fact that he's scoring goals and his highlight reels and, oh, you know, point per game. But it's his play during the game away from the puck that if you're there live watching every single shift like I have been all season long, it was so painfully obvious that he was not ready to be called up. And if you're watching the full game, you know that. And if you're watching those highlights, you don't. Well, and it's... It's, again, what we've always talked about that I think we talked about last week where we said that everyone's just expecting that Frost will become Giroux and Farabee's going to become Voracek. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're going to be ready to contend. But it's like, when was the last out of when was the last time in the last 10 years that a guy came up and within the first five years became an offensive juggernaut? And you know what? For that matter... Name me a player who came in and fulfilled his potential. And only two come to mind. One Ford and one D, and they came in the same draft. Provorov, Konechny. Yep. Konechny and Provorov are the only two that, from the time they were drafted, within the first three years, you said, oh, fuck, these guys are going to live up to their potential. Besides that, and even Konechny, first-line winger, in my mind, Provorov, stud top-pairing defenseman. But... That in all those draft picks that the Flyers have taken since 2013, that's all that's come up. And I'm not saying Frost won't be it. I'm not saying Farabee won't be it. I'm not, you know, it's just you can't just assume that these guys are going to live up. You know, they got burned on it for Nolan Patrick, mm -hmm. you know. And again, it's through no fault of his own. But again, even when he was playing, it wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire. I think he had 35 points in each of his first two seasons, if I'm not mistaken. 34, 35, and, yeah. And 
you know, they, they draft Nolan Patrick and they say, oh, well, the hell with Braden Shen, we don't need him. And I've talked about that too. Yeah, the value they got for Shen was pretty good, but at what cost? You lost a consistent 50-point guy for three years while you hope and dream that Farabee and Frost will get it sooner rather than later. And, you know, like all these guys that they drafted, like, okay, yeah, Abe Kubel is finally starting to stick in the NHL. But again, it's what? not even 10 games, and even if he does stick, it's a bottom six energy winger. Like, yes, I'm not saying that it's not good to, like, I'm not saying that it's a boss to just be an everyday NHLer as an energy guy. We just talked about it, that, like, if you stick as an everyday NHLer in the first round, it's a success. But you can't just assume that all these guys are going to reach stardom in the NHL. The Flyers got very fortunate that they hit on Provorov and Konechny. But after that, like, okay, Limblom, but even him too. Like, do I really think he was a superstar? No, I think he was a good second-line player, and I think that was his ceiling, and it's okay. But it's these people who just automatically think that they're going to, that superstars grow on trees, and like, oh, my God, Morgan Frost is the next Giroux. Maybe, but you can't just assume. Yeah. And uh, Zach Fucali, by the way, since he was brought up earlier, he is playing in the ECHL on loan from the Syracuse Crunch. So he's not even under the NHL contract. He's on an AHL contract. And uh, this was a guy that won a gold medal. He won a Memorial Cup. He won a President's Cup. CHL All-Star. And he's in the AHL. The ECHL. So there you go. That's the update on that guy. Figured I had to Google that to tie up a loose end. But... Yeah, you know, it's going to be, it's interesting. And I've been saying this, there's no McDavid's here. There's no Eichel's here. There's no Heiskanen's here. You know, these guys need to develop. Sending Frost down is the right move. I don't care what your fucking analytics say, because they've been wrong more often than not this year, and Dan the Flyer fan's been right, with the exception of Kevin Hayes. But hey, I'm more than willing to admit I'm wrong on that one. But, you know, it is what it is. In the short term, sending Frost down is the right move. Like, (laughs) if he goes down and just is able to find a spark, some kind of, you know, scores a couple goals, get some confidence back, come back up and try again in a month. You know, it's not going to hurt the kid. It's just, he's clearly, like like I said, he can hang in the NHL, he's got some tricks up his sleeve, but his overall play isn't ready. And that has been exactly what has happened over the last month or two that he's been up. And uh, it doesn't look like it's going to work itself out naturally anytime soon. So the way I look at it, because now we're pretty much... Like kind of, we're fast approaching, you know, the home stretch of the season. We got, I would say, the dog days of the NHL, which is January and early February, because once you get into mid February, it picks up with the trade deadline approaching. So, Dan, would you would you be willing to give up a significant asset to go out and add at the deadline? And if so, what would be your one slash two top priorities for this team? Well. I know the market is relatively slim, especially now that Taylor Hall's out. Uh, you know, it's a pretty crummy market. We had uh, David Bernstein on the OB podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about it. And, like, Tyler Toffoli is the best option right now, which it it's not looking great. So I would more than willingly, and we've been talking about this for a while, I don't think this team is far off, especially when everybody's playing to their level. And granted, that has been few and far between this year, when when all their top guys are playing on the same page at the same time. But if Konechny, Kateri, Voracek, Drew, JVR, Hayes, you know, if they could all be playing at their peak at the same time, this team is great. And if you bring me another top six forward and maybe a middle pair defenseman just to shore everything up, like, there's no reason you can't make a run this year. They're clearly in the middle of a playoff hunt. Uh, they're, uh, what the hell do they say they were? Third... Third in the Metro at the moment, it is pretty tight, but, you know, provided they keep up the pace they're going to, they're going to make the playoffs one way or the other. And uh, especially if they, you know, fall down to a wild card spot and they're playing the Capitals or the Bruins or the Maple Leafs, like, they're going to need all the help they can get. Um, Again, I don't know what the market looks like, but I would be more than willing to lose a couple of these prospects in order to to make a run for it, because I, I think this team is legitimately good, and there's no reason to wait another year or two. When, when you know, the iron is hot, you got to strike, and the iron is more than hot right now with, you know, a couple added legitimately good pieces to, to make a serious push this year. So, just to piggyback off of that, I agree. I think the first priority should be going, give me one second, my fucking cat's being an asshole. Fuck off! <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. There you go. You got a live look at my in-house life. But um, no, to get back on it, I think that a center, a third-line center, should be the number one priority. And like you said, a middle-of-the-road defenseman. And I think it should be some older guys, some vet guys. I, I know people are going to fucking have panic attacks when they hear that. <laughs> like, I look at a guy like, um, I, I've really always liked Andy Green, who's a captain with the Devils, expiring contract at the end of the year. He's a guy that I would love to add. And then, you know, the Devils, it's weird. Like, I don't know if they're shopping this guy, but I could, I would love a Travis Zajac. And he has one more year beyond this year. But obviously, God, the- he's got to be old as hell now, right? He's 34. I heard uh, Kyle Palmieri's name thrown around a little while ago. Is there any uh, smoke there? Well, Palmieri, it, it, the, the only reason why I didn't bring him up was because he's a winger. But yeah, at the same true. time, I do think he would be exactly what they need, like a goal-scoring winger. I guess that would just depend on whether or not they want to roll with Frost slash Lawton as a 3C. I, I think Palmieri would be a good add. The one thing with Palmieri is that the Rice, I could see it driving up real high. Yeah. Because I think a lot of teams are going to go hard after him, especially that your term at a decent cap. I think he's at 4.5. And I've heard Boston tied a lot to him, you know, to insulate uh, the top line there. Um, I would like, I think New Jersey's a good spot there, a good target. I think they have some players that could help the Flyers. Zajac, it's more just a center role. I've always liked Travis Zajac. But, again, this is one that I want to bring up to you because I've seen it so much. What do you think about all these people still crying about the cap space? It's just, listen, <laughs> this is one of those Ron Hextall mentalities that is clearly dying hard. And, yeah, they worked themselves into quite a bit of a hole here. And But... You know, in terms of contracts coming up, they have the big three going into this summer were Myers, Patrick, and Lindblom. And for one reason or another, you know, they really don't have to worry about any of those three getting paid big time. Obviously, Patrick has been MIA all season. Lindblom won't be back anytime soon. And uh, Myers has not exactly lit the world on fire when he's been given an opportunity. So I don't think they have to worry about that. I believe uh, Braun is up as well. I don't know if they resign him or not. If they do, it'll probably be a year for a pretty cheap deal. Uh, Vorobiev is up. Maybe they'll keep him around. Maybe not. Stewart. Albe Kubel is another one that, you know, if his run here is solid, they could maybe give him, you know, a shorter bridge deal. Pitlick is up as well. So, I mean, other than that, uh, so Elliot is as well, but uh, we'll talk about that later. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, you, you aren't going to win cups by not paying people. And Kevin Hayes is a perfect example of that. You know, it's it's it is what it is. Ten million dollars in cap space typically means your product is going to be bad in the ice, and we've seen that for fucking years with the Flyers. I have no problem with them spending cap. Yeah, they work themselves in pretty tight here, but you know, if they could, you know, once the uh, expansion draft comes around next summer, you know, I, I would assume Voracek or JVR are gone, and at that point, you know, you got you know seven eight million dollars in cap filled, and you know the lesser contracts coming to Lindblom, Patrick, and uh, Myers should help. So, you know, I'm not overly concerned about it right now. It sucks that they kind of tucked themselves into this hole because it's not easy to get out of, mainly because you're paying your top guys so much goddamn money. Uh, Drew, Voracek, Hayes, JVR, Konechny, all making five and a half and up. But, you know, there's no easy way out of it. There's not a lot of guys here. All of them. <laughs> Pitlick is making one million. Couturier is at 4.3. But other than that, you got one, two, three, four, five players on entry-level contracts in the main roster right now. Stuart Andrioff making pretty much league minimum. Defense is pretty much the same way. Provorov locked up for long term, but everybody else is making a decent amount of money, but they're all core members. So it's an interesting situation they're in, but I'm not overly concerned. I would much rather them spend the cap and win some fucking hockey games than them be losing but have 10 million on cap space to flaunt. Yeah, that's, like, when I, because everyone said, like, well, how could you add when they're up against the cap? And I think it's because, like, for me, I just feel like any trade in season would involve Shane Gossespear. Yes. Especially given the fact that, at least in my view, he's played fairly well over the last two or three weeks, I I would say, like. Much better than he did earlier, anyway. 
Exactly, and I, and I've kind of just let go of the whole like him being an offensive juggernaut. I've right, just right. you know I've broken away from that. If he can just play steady hockey on the third pair, that's like I'm okay with it. But that I think when you look at the Flyers' cap issues, like I touched on a bit last week, where you know it's not like anyone is getting overpaid for what they're doing because you know Hayes is a top two center, Niskin's a top pairing D, Bronze is second pair D. It's Gossespierre as a third-pairing defenseman making $4.5 million. So, and I think the fact that he has, you know, a 60-point season under his belt, he ha- he's locked in at a decent number with some term left, and now he's playing well. I could see him being a trade chip at the deadline. Um, I don't know if they're going to explore it. You know, I've heard people say, like, oh, well, it's not the year. They can't do it now. They have to wait. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it last weekend when we said, well, if it's not now, when is it? So I, I'm leaning more towards really making a significant ad here because, yes, the future looks bright and the coaching staff is great and they're going to be here for a while and they have a few great young guys here. But I'm just scared that I don't know when the next time is going to be that the Flyers have vets playing as well as they are right now. Yeah. It's it you know we talked about it a little on the Christmas show and we've been talking about it off and on throughout the season you know and as much as I hate to say anything negative about Giroux like he's taken a step back this year and that's kind of the first time that we can really say that you know he he just looks a step behind there been plays you know maybe not every game but every maybe once a week once every other week I'll watch a play and be like man he he was just a step behind there. And he's 31 now. You know, he's not getting any younger. He's got some hard miles on him from carrying this goddamn team for the past decade. You know, Voracek can play well when he wants to, but you don't see it every single game. You know, Hayes has been an absolute beast, one of the greatest flyers of all time already. Van Riemsdyk, you know, he has had five good games through half the season. Yippee Kai fucking yay on that one. You know, but, you know, I, I don't know. This seems to be the year to strike. You know, granted, this team is probably going to look relatively similar going in the next year, but, you know, they're playing well now. And again, if these shitheads can get all of their games together at once and start playing with more consistency, there's no reason not to strike now. And there's not a lot of rentals at the deadline, not a lot of worthy rentals, which means they would probably need to pick up somebody with term, which obviously sucks a little bit there. But, you know, there are ways around it. It's not going to be pretty, and they're going to stay very, very tight to the cap, but there are ways around it, and Gostaspear is the obvious choice uh, to go with his 4.5 cap hit for four more years. Yeah, and, you know, because people never want to look at the business side of things, right? right? Yes. Like, I've debated it ad nauseum with several people who said that the Blue Jackets were idiots for going all in last year when they knew Duchesne and Panarin and Bobrovsky weren't going to resign. And I'm saying, like, well, they had to show the average fan that they are committed to winning. For fuck's sakes, they never won a playoff series. <laughs> so they, what they did was a success. And I remember after they they bounced the, the Lightning in four games, they, like, doubled their season tickets for the preceding season. And what I'm when I look at this team, and obviously the attendance has been an issue, and people want to blame it on Kate Smith and whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> but I look at this team, and I think this is a very, very important year. That even if they don't win the Stanley Cup, or fuck, even if they don't go to the conference final, I think it is extremely crucial that you a win a round. I think that is fucking crucial, and b. You show the fans that you're committed to winning. And if that means sacrificing a part of the future, I don't like I wouldn't discount it as like I wouldn't say it was a negative because this is a year that's a changing of the guard in many ways for the Flyers. You know, you're seeing new faces take the reins in Konechny, Couturier and Provorov. You know, you're seeing your new management, new coaches And it's been the first year that you've actually seen people actually start to feel legitimately positive about this team. So I think this is a fucking important year, not so much in the respect that I think like they have to win the cup. I don't think that they're contenders in any which way right now, but they're really not far off. And if they even made a big ad that got them through a round or two in the playoffs, that sacrificed a high draft pick or a decent prospect, I do that in a heartbeat. There was the talk in the 20, 
2018 season, I guess it was, when they made it to the uh, playoffs, but then got fucking curb stomped by the Penguins in the first round. And I remember people going, well, the season was a success because they made the playoffs. And it's, is that it? You know, is that where we're at as a team where just making the playoffs is a success no matter how ugly it gets in the first round? You know, I... I do not think just making the playoffs this year is a success. If they make the playoffs, go to the first round, and get fucking killed by the Bruins in five games, like that's not, it's just not a success to make the playoffs. They gotta start making some noise. This team is too good to wallow in mediocrity any longer. And, you know, I don't know what the future looks like as far as trades go. Again, we were just talking about it. I, I don't know what it looks like. I'm sure Chuck Fletcher's got something up his sleeve. Probably somebody from Minnesota because that's all the people he likes. But, you know, it needs to happen this year. You need to go out, and if you do go out in the first round, make it entertaining. Go to double overtime in Game 7 or something. Put up some fight, you know, and and that's what it needs to be. I, I don't think settling for just making the playoffs this year or just being a bubble team and you miss it by a point, you know, in a shootout in the last game of the season, you, know, you, just, you just can't accept failure anymore and i think that is crucial for this team moving forward is you got to win a you got to make the playoffs and you got to win around this year and you got to instill some confidence especially with all this attendance bullshit i know it's i know it's kate smith's fault that everybody's not going to games but you know you, you gotta start if your attendance is down it's because the fucking team sucks for 10 years now you know you gotta start putting some good faith in this team go out and make some noise you just brought up the blue jackets you know they threw all their eggs in a basket last year because they knew goddamn well <laughs> once panarin and Wabrowski left they were going to struggle and uh you know nobody's on the immediate chopping block this year as far as you know leaving but it's time to make some noise it's time to go out and and put some faith there and i do have faith in chuck fletcher to do that i did not have faith in ron hextall to make those kind of moves but at least so far i do have faith in fletcher that come the trade deadline he's going to make the right move for the team to give them the best chance to win a playoff round possible yeah i just people have to get their fucking heads out of their cap the salary cap and prospect asses, their draft asses. Like, you do all this to succeed on the ice, and the Flyers have their best product probably since 11-12, the first year without Richards and Carter. That's the that's the last time I felt as optimistic about a Flyers team as I do this year. And I just, I don't care that, you know, that they aren't bona fide cup contenders. I've talked about this before, that people think that unless you're fucking on the cusp of winning the cup, you should never do anything to spend or advance the organization. Uh, I want them to really strike here. If they win a playoff round, that's good with me. I really just think that this is a year that you have to capitalize on what you have at hand. Yep. Well, the Flyers head out on a six-game road trip starting tomorrow night. They play the Sharks, Ducks, Kings, Golden Knights, Coyotes, Hurricanes before heading home. Uh, first of all, tomorrow's game is a 10.30 p.m. start. Fuck that, first and foremost. And uh, other than that, this is going to be a very interesting schedule. You know, the Sharks have not been what they were. The Ducks and Kings should both be winnable games. Golden Knights are going to be a challenge. The Coyotes are probably going to be a challenge again. Hurricanes probably going to be a challenge. You know, this is a, going to be... A very interesting part of their schedule coming up. The the California teams, hopefully they get some points out of them. But after that, you know, Vegas, uh, Coyotes, Hurricanes, Capitals, Lightning, Bruins, Blues. You know, it gets pretty rough here uh, as January continues on. So hopefully the Flyers look good in their uh, West Coast trip. And then they can come back and uh, prepare for some of these uh, more difficult teams as the month progresses. Yeah, when, you know, they haven't been the best road team this year. They've gotten most of their wins on home ice, so... I think it's very important that they, at the bare minimum, go 500 here. You can't have another trip like they had in Minnesota and Winnipeg, where they lost all three, and Colorado as well. They need to go 500 here, if not better. You know, the California teams are not what they once used to be. I think they're all sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference. So, yeah, the Flyers really got to capitalize here. And, you know, just keep uh, keep afloat in the uh, Metro Division standings because, as we know, that division is quite barbaric this year. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a fight there. I don't think anybody's really fallen out. They're they're very close. Uh, the standings. Capitals, 57 points. They're kind of running away with the division. Islanders, 49. Flyers, 47. Penguins, 46. Hurricanes, 46. And the Blue Jackets are at 40. So that's going to be a very tough one as well. You look over in the Atlantic. Bruins have 53. Leafs, 44. Canadians, 42. Panthers, 41. Sabres, 41. Lightning, 40. Jesus, what's going on in Tampa? 
The Senators yeah. are getting ready to pass them. <laughs> yeah, Tampa, I don't know. Like, you keep expecting them to finally find their game, but I... Do you want to talk about a team that needs to strike when the iron's hot? That was them, and they failed miserably <laughs> last year. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's a team that I think... that that Look, they're a good, they're a good example of what fucked up intangibles can do to you that there's i think they're still feeling the effects from last year yeah it's going to be a interesting ride here for the playoffs everything looks tough wild card's not going to be easy but hopefully the flyers can stick into the metro probably their best chance of a win i would assume i guess i guess the islanders would be a tough one but i i really don't think and that's kind of the thing here whether you're in the third wild cards or the second or third wild card spot, I guess you're probably going to play the Islanders, or if you fall down to one of the wild card spots, you're going to play Washington or Boston, maybe you know Toronto as well. You know, there's not really any favorable odds here for the Flyers, so it is about building up that team at the trade deadline and trying to uh, win a game because there's no real, uh, no real easy team here to pick. Rather, you want to uh, to line up against. Well, in the first round, I think, to your point, it's either going to be the Islanders, Capitals, or Bruins. Neither of them are really ideal matchups. But the one thing I'll say is that if the Flyers were to cross over to the Atlantic, I feel like it would be the best for them because if you get by Boston, then you'd get one of Toronto, Montreal, Buffalo, or Florida. And I think the Flyers could beat any one of those four teams. Now, again, getting by Boston would prove to be no easy task, but I think it would be more favorable to go up against Boston and one of those four as opposed to the Islanders and the Capitals. Yeah, well, everybody, that'll be the storyline uh, of the season moving forward. Um, I have no idea when we'll be back for any show. Obviously, New Year's is coming up this week. Uh, O&B, new opening podcast on Monday night probably going to try and squeeze an angry negative show in sometime next week if not we'll do a brotherly pod sometime as well so no idea when we'll be back but everything should be back to normal uh throughout january once the week of the sixth happens so uh be sure to check that out if you have not yet followed the new angry and negative show uh links the first show whenever that is whether it's next week or two weeks we will be on our own platforms, our own uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to them, we'll be on our own separate platforms. Check the link on the new Twitter page, at Angry Negative, to uh, subscribe to your favorite platforms. Make sure you do not miss an episode. Uh, for the rest, it's uh, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod, and uh, at National Podnet as well. So be sure to check all that out. Uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at demarco 25 all right, everybody, and that is it. Uh, we'll be back sometime soon. If not, have a happy new year. Hope you all had a great holiday season. Uh, until next time, everybody, goodbye and good night.